Good morning. How good is that? I remember when I became a mum 19 years and three days ago, and um, I was in hospital for a week because I'd had twins and a cesarean, and I remember very clearly that each time the kids, the babies went to sleep, I would lie down and rest too. And I'd have one baby in the bed with me, and I'd have the other baby in a bassinet pulled up beside the bed. And um, I remember I would have these incredible rushes of emotion, of love, towards the baby that was in bed with me. And I would have this beautiful moment and feel this rush of love. And then I'd look over at the baby in the bassinet and think, oh, I clearly don't love that baby as much. <laughs> and I'd have this incredible guilt. Oh, I love this one more than that one. I've got favorites already. <laughs> But then at the next rest time, I'd have the other baby in the bed with me and that one in the bassinet. And I'd be lying there and I'd feel this. Oh, I love this baby. Oh, no, I don't love that baby so much. It was ridiculous. It was this roller coaster of emotion and guilt and love. And parenting has continued as a roller coaster of all sorts of things of wonder and love and joy and heartache and all those things that come with that. But I love being a mum. When we have mums ourselves, it can be a bit of a roller coaster too. I imagine all of us have mums of some sorts. Because even if we grow up in a household that is full of kindness and generosity and love, it can still be a roller coaster of beautiful moments and disappointments and frustrations and everything else. But I imagine that all of us in the room, whatever experiences we've had in life, would agree that the idea of a good family where you are loved well and accepted for who you are is a really good idea. And so this morning we're going to explore a little bit this notion of family. Over the last few weeks we've um, finished and looked at the topic of cups of water. I've loved this topic and I really love the idea that we thought about two weeks ago, which was this idea that if we choose to follow Jesus, we're saved from, but we're not saved to, we're saved for. I love that idea, that we're saved from death, life away from God, that we're saved from sin and stains, things that have been done uh, by us and to us, that we're saved from uh, the power of evil too, if we choose to follow Jesus. But we're not just saved to something, we're saved for something. We're safe for kingdom living with Jesus as our king. That we are saved for living as fully human. And that that involves things like freedom, a growing freedom to be who we are. It involves purpose. It involves family. And as we look at all these things that we've been saved for, if we choose to follow Jesus... There's no hierarchy of things. We can't say, oh, I'll take those ones, but I don't want that one, thank you very much. They're all part of what it means to follow Jesus. If we choose to follow Jesus, we have a new father, God. We have a new older brother, Jesus. And we have a multitude of brothers and sisters, mums and dads, aunts and uncles. We read in the Bible when Jesus said, when this happened with Jesus, he didn't say this. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, 
Look, your mother and brothers are, are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But Jesus replied, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now we know that Jesus honored his family. He honored his mother. He was a good Jewish man. When he was hanging on the cross in absolute agony, probably struggling to breathe, let alone speak, he made sure that he spoke and ensured that John, one of his followers, would look after um, his mother. He, he absolutely loved his family. But the point that Jesus is making here is that if we choose to follow him, and it's a point that is echoed throughout the, family, uh, throughout the Bible, that we're adopted into a new family. And those times when we experience community as family are incredible times. They feel really good. I asked a few brave people just to share a little bit about what that has felt like to them when they've experienced moments in their lives when they've been loved by a community family, by the church. Check this out for a moment. My husband's family and my family are all overseas and my family's a bit broken. So for me, finding people who have been like family has taught me that it's actually okay to trust others and to ask for help without expectations or judgment. They've made me feel loved, cared for, valued, heard, and like I finally belong, just as I am. Having these people placed in my life is a reminder that God never abandons us. Plus, <laughs> it's been a big comfort being able to fill in the emergency contact sections and forms. <laughs> I'm grateful to those who have been like family. I'm grateful to those who are like family to me uh, through some of the intentional conversations that I've had um, and the ways that uh, they've prompted me in thinking about things in my life, uh, the hard topics, and they've been able to offer advice and wisdom uh, when I've been unsure. I am grateful for the female spirit, the embodiment of a mother's love in all of its life-giving forms, whether that's physical or emotional or spiritual. Um, for me, having the remarkable women of NCR who rallied around me during lockdown for daily walks, that was a real profound experience of that God-given blessing that is motherly love. to be loved well by people who step in and are family for us. I wonder whether, though, that's everyone's experience. When I first moved here 20-plus years ago, I was puzzled and occasionally sad for a long time, and it took me a long time to work out what this was about. 
in all the places that I'd lived in the UK, and there were a few places, most of the people that I lived around and near didn't have extended family anywhere near them. So if there was a time of need or a day to celebrate or often just in everyday life, you always turned to the community that you had, to your family that was your church because they were the place that you were involved in. They were your close family to you. And then um, I moved here and um, I found though that because so many people lived near their family of origin and their extended family, that if uh, a need arose or if there was something to celebrate or often in everyday life, that actually people would turn away and would turn to their family. And there were moments that I experienced when I was lonely because of this, even though I'd actually lived away from my own family since I was 18 years old. There was a gap and I felt it keenly. There was no intention on anyone's part to not love. People were so lovely. I love you Australian people. <laughs> There's a beauty and a generosity and a love that I felt. People were busy and it was just a different culture. But I live in this culture now and I find it a challenge because I've got extended family nearby. I've got my own family. Life is full very often. And yet I look out and I see many people who don't have family close by that they can turn to. Maybe they don't live near their family. Or maybe their family are not necessarily healthy places to be. And so they wouldn't choose to turn to them. And I remember that sadness. How can we be a church that is truly family to other people, still completely honoring as Jesus did, is the family of origin, but loving so outrageously those beyond our natural families that it makes a difference, that we offer home, that we offer a sense of belonging to people, that life will flourish for all of us and that this will be what shines out into the world around us. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is the number one command. So what does it look like to love like this? On this Mother's Day, let's explore this idea of being mothers in the church, or fathers, or aunts, or uncles. And to see what this love looks like, we look to God, who is perfect in love. There is this uh, little bunch of stories in the Bible that Jesus told that we're going to look at. They're called the parables of the lost. And Jesus told them in moments when he was being criticized because he was hanging out with people that were actually considered outcasts. They were considered beyond society. Uh, they weren't ones to be included in things. And so we're going to look at this, but we're not actually looking at the people um, 
that are considered lost or the things that are considered lost in this family. I'm not making that comparison because those of us are lonely at times aren't necessarily lost. There may be moments we feel it. But what we're actually focusing on is we're taking our eyes off the lost and we're looking at the one that does the finding. We're looking at the one that does the loving because as we look at these stories at the one that does the loving, we look and see what God's posture of love is like. And in these stories, God is represented by a shepherd, God is represented by a woman, and God is represented by a father. In each of these stories, there is a need. A precious sheep gets lost. It goes wandering off from the flock. A coin, a valuable coin is lost, possibly part of a dowry. And a son, in fact, two sons are lost. And the shepherd and the woman and the father all adopt the same posture. The shepherd leaves the rest behind and goes out. He goes out looking, calling, listening for the bleating of the lamb. And as he finds that little sheep, the little lamb that is lost, he scoops it up, he puts it on his shoulder, and he carries it home and celebrates. The woman goes around her house searching for that coin, looking for it. She finds that coin, she lifts it up, and she celebrates that she has found what is lost. The father is watching out for that son, that son that has wished him dead, that has taken his inheritance, that has gone away and squandered every last cent of it. And he sees his son coming, and he goes out to his son. He goes running to him with his arms wide open, and he embraces him and welcomes him home. They go home and celebrate, and then the father hears that actually the older son has come home. And the older son is so angry and so cross and will not come home. And so the father goes out to him too, offers him that embrace and offers him that welcome home too. The posture of the shepherd, the woman and the father are the posture of God's love and compassion for us and for any of us, for anyone who recognizes their need, that they need God's arms that are open, that are inviting, that are saying, come and experience the love of my embrace. Come and experience what it is like to be home, truly home. Jesus says to any of us who follow him, be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. We are to live like this. We are to live going out to people with our arms wide open. If we choose to follow Jesus, we are offering people the love, the embrace of Jesus himself, welcoming them home. I have been wrestling with how to do this for 20 odd years and more. How to live with my arms wide open, welcoming people home. And I have failed and succeeded and failed and succeeded and on it goes, that yo-yo all the time. But I've learned a few things along the way and I know many of you know these things anyway, but it's good to be reminded of them sometimes. The first one is, 
It's all about compassion. It is not about power and control. If we have churches uh, where it's about power and control, clearly it's unhealthy. I was listening to a podcast. I listened to lots of podcasts, and I was listening to one, and this guy was quite critical of um, a large church that he'd been involved in. He'd felt very used, in fact. And, um, and he was explaining uh, why he thought this had happened, and he said... Um, I think that the reason why um, so many of us was hurt because because um, they tried to persuade us that belonging to the church was being part of a family. And I just had a double take or a double look, listen or whatever. I thought, and that was what was wrong? He said, because if, if you're part of the family, then they can demand everything from you. They can expect you to give and give and give. They can expect you to spend all your time with them and do nothing else. What a broken picture of a family that is. Because family is not meant to be like that. If that's how he saw it, then that's a very broken view of what a family is. A family nurtures and grows and gives opportunity and sets free. And if you sit here this morning and you have been hurt by a church that is meant to be family, hurt because of power or control, I am so sorry that that has been your experience. And I pray and hope that that will not be your experience with us. The second thing that I have learnt is about it taking time. If we choose to follow Jesus and we follow him through the years, there are two things that sort of happen simultaneously. And one is that God, if we let him, does a transforming work in us. There are times when he will reveal to us maybe our pride, maybe uh, our need to be busy for him, that our worth is found in, in being successful, maybe insecurities that we have that he doesn't want us to hold on to anymore. And he reveals these things to us, and he helps us to change, and we're slowly transformed. And at the same time as this, another thing that is happening, hopefully, is that we grow in our understanding of God's love for us. And I hope that within us this prayer is answered. This is an ancient prayer from the Bible. My prayer is this, that he will lay out, God, will lay out all the riches of his glory to give you strength and power through his spirit in your inner being, that the king will make his home in your hearts through faith, that love will be your root, your firm foundation, and that you may be strong enough with all God's holy ones to grasp the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the king's love, though actually it's so deep that nobody can really know it. So may God fill you with all his fullness. And out of this experience over time of knowing that Father God offers us this love that is so phenomenal that we will never truly get to the bottom of it and understand it all, excuse me, <coughs> that out of that place, of knowing we are loved, we can offer love. And we notice that when our arms are open wide, our hearts um, are just there, and it can be vulnerable at times to love like that. And sometimes we experience pain. 
sometimes there's hurt as we love other people. The father with the two sons was terribly hurt, first by the son that left, but as soon as he came home, by the other son that then refuses to come in. But maybe if we experience that hurt, actually God can take that and use it and grow us and increase our understanding of how to love well and continue to change us. The next one is the one that I will be learning all my days. Don't fix, don't fix. Don't fix, always. I'm learning because I so naturally jump to trying to make things better and to fix things. When actually, and I'm sorry, um, when actually I know that often listening is what is uh, the best thing. I am learning. <laughs> I know there are sometimes practical things that do need doing. Sometimes there is a meal, a lift, um, all those other practical things that do need to be done. But sometimes it is just being present and just listening. I was listening to another podcast, and um, there was a woman called Lisa Cuss, who is a professional licensed therapist over in the States. And she focuses on anxiety, and she was talking about her own experience. Uh, a number of years ago, she'd spoken... Um, She'd been asked to speak on anxiety as a therapist, and she'd done that. And then at the end, um, people came and spoke to her, and somebody said something to her. And it made her believe that uh, it was not safe to be vulnerable. And she stopped. That was it. She was not going to go around and share again. And this podcast was the first thing that she'd done since, because she was feeling very vulnerable. And, uh, and she explained that she's an internal processor. So if she uh, feels fear or um, emotion, feelings, that she processes all of that inside of her. And once she's sort of made sense of it, she then can share that. And um, she was saying that she's actually learned that she has to share it. She quoted Brené Brown um, and the idea of a dish, a Petri dish. Do you know what Petri dishes are? People in my family didn't... Oh, thank you, somebody. Know. So a dish inside. Thank you, somebody. And a dish. And if you have shame in a dish... Um, and you douse it with secrecy or silence or judgment, you find that that shame grows and grows and grows. But if you have a dish that's got shame in it and you douse it with empathy, that shame will not, go, uh, will not grow and you can experience over time healing. And so she talked about how she had learned that um, she could do that internal processing, but then she needed to share it. If we are constantly trying to fix and to make things better, we're not necessarily providing that safe space where people can come to us and can share the things that they have processed and to allow healing to take place and to happen. The next thing is the wisdom of knowing what I can offer and not. Linda Boutros, thank you for this image that is coming next. I have learned a lot from you. Peter Scazzaro, I know some small groups, life groups, are looking at a book he's written. He calls this Knowing Our Limits, but I'm going to use Linda's imagery because I prefer it. <laughs> um, when we're called to love each other as a family, I find that fondness grows in us. But how much support we can give will vary depending on life situations and all sorts of things. And it's good to know what can I offer what am I able to give? Because I do live a life that is limited. 
there may be some people that come along and we find actually for this person I am going to offer them my whole shoulder and my whole strength and I will put my arm around them and hold them and I am going to walk with them for the long haul. I am for them and I am going to be a support for them. I imagine there's not many people we can do that for but it is good to offer that big, strong support to invite them into our lives. Come and be part of my family and share life with me. There might be other people, and maybe it'll be at times and then not other times, when we offer them an arm, take my arm and let's walk together for this time. I want to support you in this. There may be other people uh, that we can just offer a hand to. Here, let me help you in this moment. I'll offer you support in this way. And there may be other people that we can just offer a little finger of support and of love to. As I was thinking, I hope I've said that right, Linda, (laughs) vaguely. Um, As I was thinking about this offering a little finger of love and thinking about motherly love, I was wondering whether it could be a little bit just like I can offer people this little finger of love because when I see them, I will greet them warmly because I am fond of them and I will smile like it is an occasion of joy because that will be genuinely how I feel and that is how I will love them. I can't offer them much more at this moment, but I can warmly greet them and hopefully they will know that there is a fondness there. But it's really important uh, to know how much we can offer people, how much we can carry people because we are limited And the next one flows so much from that, that we're in it together. I often look around and think, oh, I wish I could do more for that person. I wish I could do more for that person. But what I love when I'm in this church is that I go, but I know that that person has got their shoulder in and their arm around and is walking with that person. And I love that. And I know that this other person is offering them their arm. And this other person has got them with a hand. And I will offer them my little finger of motherly love warmth. Because we're in it together. And we all need to be playing our part and offering that love so that this happens. I just imagined it like this fabric, this tapestry of family and of love. And it looks beautiful on the front and on behind it is crazily, beautifully messy with threads of this one supports that one and this one, this one. And it was beautiful because it can be beautiful being a family that love each other. And lastly, being intentional, we know this. Things don't happen if we're not intentional about them. How can we become a place that is family, a place that is safe to be, like home, with intention? When we choose to invest time in getting to know people, in looking out, seeing who it is that could do with some love, with some care. It might mean, it might mean that we need to change some things, shake things up a little bit in what we do and what we spend our time doing so that we've got spaces where we can love and offer love. And maybe you're saying, there will come a time when I've got more time. But there is no better time than now to offer something, even if it's not a full shoulder, even if it's just a little finger 
of love. I am so thankful to be part of this community here where I know that so many people who choose to follow Jesus get this and choose to be family, to radically, outrageously love other people. And so today, as we think of mothers and we're thankful, we're thankful to all those that have offered us motherly love in any way at all, let us choose to love. Let us open our arms a little bit wider than maybe we have before. Let's love as Jesus has shown us how to love. And let's trust him that he will walk beside us as we do, that he will grow love in us, that we will be a beautiful family that is home and that is safe and that is good.